Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Ben Carsley of Baseball Prospectus um, and sometimes BP Boston. Right, Ben? Yeah, I think sometimes BP Boston is uh, is now the way to put it, but I appreciate that you guys still let me on the podcast. Oh, it wouldn't be a Red Sox podcast without you, Ben. Um, it is so good to have you back here today. Um, for all of you guys who have already forgotten about Ben and moved on because you have the memories of Goldfish, um, you can find Ben Carsley uh, on Twitter at, at Ben Carsley. Uh, not a super complicated Twitter handle, but easy to find nonetheless. Uh, and you can find myself at, at @devjake. Um, today we are back talking socks as usual, and we are going to lead with the highly controversial uh, topic of the Pedroia Machado situation. Um, I don't think for any of the listeners out there that I really need to spell out exactly what happened. Um, quick recap: uh, Manny Machado slides into Pedroia, cleats high. Uh, injures Pedroia and ensuing retaliation comes, albeit way too late. Um, and lots of comments are made on either side. So I want to get your reactions to um, sort of everything that happened, Ben. Um, first, what did you think of the play itself? Did you think that the play was dirty? Oh, there is so much to unpack here. Um, I. So any anything anyone says about this doesn't really matter, right? Because we're not the actual players. But with that caveat aside, I don't think Machado was 
like sliding in with the intent to injure Pedroia. However, Machado is an infielder who should know that he's sliding very late, and it is Machado's job to get his foot lower, even if he is going to slide late. So was it dirty with the intent to injure? I don't think so. Was it dirty in terms of negligence? Uh, I would I, I lean toward yes. Yeah, um, I, I agree. Um, I don't think that he went in saying, I want to hurt Pedroia. Um, Right. It wasn't like a Chase Utley, Ruben Tejada slide, right? Like, it wasn't that level of malice. No, no, certainly not. But I, I definitely think that he has a habit of, or a mindset of, when I slide into this base late, I'm going to have cleats up, because I think he has the inherent mindset of, I want to do damage. Um, and I think that's kind of just the type of player he is. But I don't, I don't honestly think it was, I want to do damage to Pedroia. I just think that that's his go-to uh, move when he's sliding in late and I definitely I watched the play a whole bunch of times and the cleats go down and then the cleats go back up again um, as he's a little bit later into the slide so I thought that was a little bit curious but I definitely think that there was immediate regret there when he did kind of sink his cleats into Petroya because like we saw in the video he does kind of go to hold them up and everything but at that point man like you've already really screwed up and it's too late and I think what we saw from him a little bit was him accepting that by um, sort of staying in the box uh, throughout that series and, and sort of waiting for his punishment, it seemed like. Yeah, and like, okay, so this is the whole argument against sliding late, right? Is like the later you slide, the harder it is to control all your legs and where your feet are going and everything like that. Uh, you know, the harder it is to avoid serious contract uh, contact with the second baseman, even if they're on the, the shortstop side of the bag like Pedroia was. So, um you know, that's that in a nutshell is the argument for against sliding late. But yeah, I mean, he definitely, you know, he didn't really he didn't lip off when Erod was throwing inside on him, um, you know, before the infamous Matt Barnes pitch. He didn't charge the mound after Matt Barnes threw at his head, which you could argue would have would have sort of been justified. So, uh, you know, he sort of seemed willing to take the requisite amount of punishment that came with the slide that late. Yeah, absolutely, and and that shows a little bit of growth on his part, too, as a player, so uh, he sort of is starting to understand the unwritten rules of baseball and the fact that you can't do things like throw your bat at someone or charge the mound without, um, you know, consequences, and that's a good thing, and I really like Manny Machado as a player, so it pains me to see him, you know, act like a dick when he does, um, but, you know, it, it's going to happen with somebody that competitive and that young and uh, sort of that fiery. But um, when it came down to the actual retaliation happening, which happened a day later than it probably should have, I mean, I know the argument was that Stephen Wright was on the mound, so he's a knuckleballer, but uh, the Projo guys made a good point on their podcast that, like, you know, Stephen Wright still throws 82 with his fastball, like, Wright could have been the guy that hit him with a fastball. Like, how fast does it need to be going? And I thought that was a pretty interesting um, point that those guys made. What did you think about them waiting till the third day uh, of the series to retaliate? It's, you know, it's a, it's a complex question because on the one hand, uh, this is why the whole, like, this is why the whole unwritten rules thing is so weird, right? Because if you would hit Machado in a very close game, like, you know, the end of the Pedroia game was or the next game was, then people are going to say, oh, that's the wrong time to do it. You can't jeopardize, you can't jeopardize your chance to win just to get even. Uh, but then if you wait a few days to get an opportunity where, the, you know, hitting him doesn't really impact the game, 
then oh, all of a sudden you've waited too long. And, and this sort of is all under the overarching umbrella of it's stupid to throw at people because you can't always control where the ball is going. Like, I, I don't think most of us would have a, if you could guarantee that a revenge pitch in an instance like this would hit someone in the ass or in the ribs. I don't think people would really have a problem with that. But like, especially with someone like Matt Barnes, you, you don't know exactly where it's going to go. And that's the whole argument against throwing at people to begin with. It's not that any retaliation is stupid. It's that it's too dangerous because you can't like locate that that finally. So when the right time is, when is it right to do it? Who should be doing it? What game is it? I don't know, because the overall answer is like it, it just doesn't really need to happen because of the inherent danger anyway. Right. It is an inherently dicey thing to do, but it probably isn't going anywhere anytime soon from baseball. No, I, that culture is pretty Absolutely ingrained. not. Yes. Yeah. Um, so after the play happened, it was kind of interesting. Pedroia was seen in the dugout barking at Machado, basically telling him that um, this is not his call. This is not what he wanted to do. They did it the wrong way. Uh, and then oddly after the game, he also made it a point to go out of his way and say how much he likes Machado and say that, you know, it wasn't his call to retaliate. And he certainly thought that throwing at his head was the wrong way to do it and all this stuff, um, which, you know, might be the right thing to say in a bubble, but Pedroia is the de facto captain on this team, even though we really don't have captains in baseball. And it did kind of come off like he was hanging his teammate, Matt Barnes, out to dry here. And, you know, like it or not, like what Matt Barnes did, disagree with what Matt Barnes did. Um, it still is a little bit controversial. Um, and I think it, if another guy had done this, a Hanley Ramirez, a Pablo Sandoval, um, been in the situation that Pedroia was in and then said this about a teammate, I think we would be crucifying them quite a bit more than we are right now with Pedroia. So what did you think about his actions? Well, that last point is definitely accurate, right? I mean, if it wasn't someone who has built up the sort of, of trust and leadership that Pedroia has, we'd, the Boston media would be absolutely killing them. And Pedroia, even, even Pedroia has received a few shots for what he said. Um, you know, sort of tying into my last comment, and, and I, I, I had a feeling we'd go here, which is why I prefaced this comment with what I said a few minutes ago. You know, the only reason, the only way this bullshit changes is people like Pedroia being like, I don't want it. That's not how you should settle these things. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, again, projecting, projecting my values onto athletes who I will never speak to. I don't think Matt Barnes was trying to throw at Machado's head. I think he was just trying to throw at Machado, which goes back to the larger issue of that's why you can't do it. But so when Pedroia is saying that's not me, is he just trying to say I didn't ask him to headhunt? Is he trying to say I didn't mean to hit you at all? Is he trying to say I would have hit you earlier, which is what it looks like he did say at a certain point? Like we don't know exactly what was meant by that. And when Pedroia was interviewed today, all he said was, uh, you know, he knows what I mean. It doesn't matter if you know what I mean. We're keeping it in-house. So uh, I, I do believe there is a certain level of ball player speak that, you know, we're never going to and maybe don't really need to understand. But I took that more as Pedroia saying, hey, I would never have gone after your head. And also, if it was up to me, I would have drilled you in the ass sooner. Uh, so not quite as hanging barns out to dry as maybe it looks if you don't watch the whole thing or you don't read his quotes after. Right. Yeah. If you if you saw it piecemeal and maybe didn't follow the whole narrative over a few days like you had, for sure, um, it 
does make it more difficult to kind of see that overarching point that he was trying to yeah. make. And he, he did elaborate on that point. I think he said something to the effect of, um, if I slid in cleats up on Manny at third, I would expect to be drilled the next Ex- day too. Exactly. So he's not even saying like, you know, like you just said, this is so ingrained in baseball culture. It's not going anywhere. I don't, I don't think he means like, I wouldn't hit you. I think he was trying to say, A, I would have hit you earlier and B, it certainly wouldn't have been in the head. Um, which is like, is kind of what you want. Like, okay, maybe in a platonic or not platonic, idealistic baseball Twitter universe, he just says hitting people are wrong and blah, blah, blah. But like, realistically, I think this is about as good as you're going to get from like a star athlete. And he's come across as really great during this entire thing, right? He didn't slam Machado. He basically spoke out against throwing at people's heads. He didn't take a cheap shot at Zach Britton when he was asked about it today. So, um, you know, aside from the injury, right, and Pedroia looks looks pretty good after all of this. Yeah, I think he looks pretty good in terms of, you know, a certain light. Like, all those things that you just said were great, but I think that there's still an element of it that I think I'm uncomfortable with with his word choice a little bit. You know, I think that you're right. Like, if you follow the whole narrative from beginning to end, he probably isn't do anything, doing anything that makes him seem like a bad teammate. But the optics of it, the yelling at another player uh, from his own dugout and making the whole thing so public did come off to me like showing up his own teammate in the moment. I um I get that, and I, I think that's fair to a certain extent, but this is a situation where I'm willing to let a decade of Pedroia being a good teammate sort of give me the – I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. That either it just looked bad or, you know, maybe he was really hot in the moment and then spoke to Matt Barnes later. Um, you know, if he was a problem child, maybe I'd be more inclined to sort of view it that way, but – the dude has been viewed as a rock star teammate by everybody for a decade. So uh, I have a hard time getting that worked up about him yelling at it. And like you should like, right. If you're one of these players, you should go out and say, I didn't want anything to be thrown at your head. Like that sure. is a good message to be spreading. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that that's overall going to be a good thing for the safety of the game. If it keeps going that way and that more people realize that, you know, it is stupid to put, star players of other teams and it's almost always the star player who ends up getting thrown at anyway in situations like this um putting those guys in danger is always a scary thing so um you know you start throwing at machado then all of a sudden they're throwing at bets and you know nobody wins when guys end up on the dl for things like that so um overall i agree um however it it was certainly a a a interesting thing to happen at this point in the season do you think that it is over do you think we'll see more of this because oh god it's not over (laughs) no they play the orioles ten thousand times buck showalter's only hobby is needling the red sox um no it's not over by a long shot some you know mookie's gonna get a fastball in the ribs from kevin gosman at some point and you know david price will come back and try to prove that he's cool and he'll throw behind chris davis this is not over by by a long shot yeah, great. More baseballs going at my favorite players. Yeah, always what we want to see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, meanwhile, Barnes gets suspended for four games because of the incident, and now we are led into uh, a bullpen that is uh, increasingly confusing looking with Barnes out of it, at least for the Yankees series, the two games there, and then into the Cubs series. Um, this bullpen construction has been quite odd. 
Um, we have the three lefties in the pen, Fernando Abad, Robbie Scott, and Robbie Ross Jr. Uh, Abad being pretty much never used, only used in mop-up situations. Um, and with the loss of another righty in Barnes, um, it's looking like a situation where you know, you're saying to yourself, how long can they continue to trot out this, these three lefties, especially one that's not getting a lot of work when we have a lot of serviceable righties down at Pawtucket that could come up? Um, what do you think ends up happening with the pen, and, and who do you think is the guy that gets the call? Um, or do you think that they're going to continue to roll with this bizarre bullpen situation? Oh, there's a lot there. Uh, when Barnes serves his suspension, I mean, I think it will be one of the Pawtucket righties you spoke about, right? It could be Ben Taylor. Maybe it's Brandon Workman. Um, it doesn't look, you know, suspensions aren't usually appealed for long enough for us to start talking about Thornburg or Smith. So I think, you know, for Barnes, the, either Workman or, or Ben Taylor will be the immediate replacement. Maybe even Noe Ramirez. God, I hope not. Um, I mean, eventually... I mean, Fernando Abad has, what, three more appearances? If he's not, if he doesn't have, you know, if two out of his three next appearances aren't really good, he's gone. Yeah. Uh, Farrell clearly doesn't trust him. He hasn't done a lot that indicates that he is uh, worthy of being trusted, and he's now the third best lefty in the bullpen. So I, I would be very surprised if Fernando Abad is on this team by June 1st, June 15th. Um, but when you have, you know, this many injuries, you get why he is still around. So either price comes back and, and probably at this point, Stephen Wright goes to the bullpen and that's how Abad loses his spot or Thornburg progresses and he comes back or workman keeps looking good. I don't think Abad is terribly long for this roster. How immediate do you think the change is? I mean, with, with the current situation, it's gotta be pretty soon, right? Because the impact is going to be felt here. You know, if he appeals, that's one thing. And if, Barnes remains in the pen for, you know, a, a number of days here in the immediate future. That's one thing. But if he decides not to appeal and starts to serve the suspension right away, he uh, he did he did appeal. Oh, I he believe. did appeal. Okay. Yeah. Um. So I mean, if when that suspension does happen, like you're gonna need somebody though, right? Like pretty much immediately. Yeah. Um. You you certainly will. So I guess it wouldn't surprise me if if Abad is the casualty there. Although correct me if I'm wrong. Um, do they get to replace Barnes while he's suspended, or do they just have to eat the roster spot? I think they have to eat the roster spot. I think that's part of the suspension. So when I he think goes you're down, right. yeah, yeah, that yeah. will leave Hembry and Kelly as the only righties that are not Kimbrel um, in the pen. So as soon as that suspension happens, in my eyes, it seems like they have to make a move because you can't go into a series with right. a closer and two righties. Yeah, no, um, I I think it's pretty likely that Abad gets the boot then. Maybe they decide to burn Erod's last option and send him down, although that seems unlikely because he's he's been pretty good. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess I, I suppose the... Uh, the end of Fernando Abad could be that soon unless you just decide to, you know, live with having three lefties for four games. Um, neither would really surprise me. And, and at this point, like, you know, the Abad trade was fine. They gave up a reliever prospect for him. It's not like this is a trade that's going to haunt them for the rest of their days. Um, but I also have no problem admitting that it didn't work and, and just moving on. It does seem like the Red Sox are being oddly stubborn about Fernando Abad. Like, he didn't well, seem to have the best fit 
on this roster um, coming out of the spring, still won a roster spot, and then hasn't been used almost at all. And like you said, they didn't give up a lot. They gave up freaking Pat Light. Like, who cares? Who cares if this doesn't work out? You know, why, why the... Why the want to hold on to this guy for this long? Well, because he's been good fairly recently and because, you know, players have kept getting injured. Like, you know, if Thornburg had started the year healthy, maybe a bod doesn't make the roster. If Price starts the year healthy, maybe a bod doesn't make the roster. But, like, I mean, you know, a bod doesn't have options and, like, Noe Ramirez does, then sure, I'll take a bod. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, a lot of it is just retaining that level of, you know, 24th to 27th player on your roster depth. So... If you're not going to, you know, you'd rather have a bot as additional insurance than just cut him and promote someone like, you know, Taylor or Workman or, or Ramirez who have options left. But, you know, like you said, we're getting to the point where they don't really have that luxury, um, especially with injuries on the offensive side, too. They sort of need a little bit of a deeper bench. So, uh, yeah, would not would not surprise me if the next time I'm on this podcast, a bot is already gone. Uh, if if it's up to me, the guy who they bring up would be Brandon Workman. He's now had three appearances at Pawtucket, um, hasn't allowed a run in any of those appearances, has looked pretty good. Um, you know, I, I think Ben Taylor has been awesome as well. Um, but I just really, uh, I kind of need some of that 2013, that 2013 feeling. You know, I, I just want to see Brandon up here. What do you think about Workman coming up? Well, you want you want him up mostly as a pinch hitter, right? <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I want. Yeah, we'll never let Farrell live that down. No, um, no. I mean, work, Workman is certainly a higher upside option, which is sort of sad to say about a 28-year-old reliever. But, yeah, I mean, Workman could come up and be pretty similar to Hembry, right? Um, so I think he certainly has a higher upside than Taylor. Um, I don't off the top of my head know, many, know how many options he has left, so maybe they're hesitant to call him up because if he gets up one more time, that's it. He has a luxurious uh, two options left. He has two options left. Okay. Yeah, which which was surprising to me considering his age. But I yeah, guess he did I, miss I some time because of the injury and everything. So. Right. And that's the other thing is, you know, since, since 2014, he has now thrown uh, like 25 innings. So they might also want to sort of slow roll him a little bit. And especially if it's only four games, that's why you might go with Taylor. Um, but I do think Workman will, you know, end up back in the majors and a meaningful role is overselling it, but a, um, you know, a substantial role of some sort. Over under, he is the key guy in the 2017 stretch to the World Series for the Red Sox this year. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to get crazy and say under, uh, you know, <laughs> with Tyler Thornburg and Carson Kelly, probably both trying to get back in what June or July, I'm, I'm going to say under. Yeah, you're probably right. But you know, guys can dream, right? Absolutely. I'm being there with you, man. He was, uh, he was pretty fun when he was healthy. He, he was, he, that 2013 season was awesome. I'm a, I'm a, I, I love curveballs. So the, the sooner he gets back, the better, the happier I am. Yeah, th those are those are some nice pitches. You must enjoy Clayton Kershaw starts then. Well, who doesn't, right? Uh, yeah, oddly enough, I've uh, I've watched him pitch once or twice. <laughs> um, so Pablo Sandoval has just recently gone to the DL with a sprained knee. Uh, activated in his place was Josh Rutledge. Uh, there's going Ugh. to be a little bit of a platoon situation uh, at third base now with Rutledge and Marco Hernandez. Uh, but what this has done is it has really highlighted a little bit of the uh, 
the depth issues that this current roster has. Um, because now what we're looking at here is a bench of Christian Vasquez, Steve Selsky, uh, Chris Young, and, um, you know, really Rutledge doesn't so much count as a bench spot now because he's going to be actively sharing in in that platoon. Um, the Red Sox are looking a little bit thin here without too, too much down in the minors if anything is to happen to the current group of guys that they have. Yeah, and this is the, you know, I wrote about this um, in the Red Sox season preview for Baseball Prospectus. This is the problem with the Dave Dombrowski approach, right? Mm -hmm. the, the good part is, is holy shit, have you seen Chris Sale pitch so far this year? Oh my God, uh, it's been amazing. That's, it's appointment TV, it's incredibly fun to watch. He is a de facto, you know, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, number one pitcher the Red Sox haven't had since Schilling, maybe Pedro. Um, and I love, I, you know, I say that as someone who loves John Lester and thinks John Lester is a, a very respectable top of the rotation pitcher, but, you know, Chris Sale is a capital A, aces, ace year in and year out. Uh, the downside is, you know, this could be Mauricio Dubon, who's coming up right now. It could be Jan Moncada, who's coming up right now. Um, and, you know, maybe you called, ended up calling Manny Margot and then you put Selsky at third or something. So, um, is a lot to like with this Red Sox because Dombrowski certainly made their ceiling higher because you add sale. And if Tyler Thornburg is healthy, right? I mean, they, they definitely have, they have the upside of a 9,800 win team, but the downside is a lot lower because, uh, well, there's no better way to put it than we're having a Marco Hernandez, Josh Rutledge platoon for 10 days. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're right. There's a lot of trade-offs that happen with the Dave Dombrowski uh, roster here and this is just one of the things you have to to live with um, the good news is that it doesn't seem like it's going to be a super long-term situation here uh, it doesn't seem like the injury is all that serious and it seems like Pedroia probably has avoided uh, right. anything too too serious there so it's it's only one spot towards the end of your lineup right now um, and, and not for too long so um and I am, um, I mean, I, I don't want to get carried away. He's, he's just a utility player, but I like Marco Hernandez. Um, you know, as utility players go, I think he has a good bat. Um, I, I don't think he's going to be a terribly adept defensive third baseman, but neither is Sandoval, neither is Brock Holt. So, you know, a Hernandez Rutledge platoon is easy to make fun of. But like you said, if that platoon is batting eighth or ninth, you can live with that for half of a month. Um, and, you know, if this problem happens in August, maybe we start talking about Rafael Devers. Yeah. Uh, Rafael Devers has certainly taken to double A uh, in his early. Yeah. Cold here. is not bothering him. Yeah. Not not at all. And, you know, Rafael Devers, for for any of you guys out there that haven't followed his career too closely, um, has really been a player of halves. He has had hot halves and cold halves throughout uh, most of uh, his time in the minor leagues. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not Devers can sustain this type of performance for a full year, but certainly somebody who's going to warrant consideration uh, for a call-up later in the season if the team needs it. And if he's still uh, producing like he is right now, it's going to be really tough to keep him down there. Um, but Ben, what do you make of the current power outage on the team? I think that that's a good segue from talking about uh, maybe the last couple spots of the lineup being a little bit weaker. Um, you know, is there anything to that? And with that, I mean, Sandy Leone hasn't hit 
very well this season uh, so far. I want to look it up. I believe he is batting 205 or 20, yeah, 205 on the season right now. Uh, and his battery mate there, Christian Vasquez, is batting 478, which is you know <laughs> incredibly uncharacteristic for him, albeit it's only 23 at bats so far. But is that something that they could change up in the lineup there to give them a little bit more offense while Pablo's out? Uh, well, uh, Jake, I think anyone who has listened to us before is aware of how we feel about Blake Swihart. Um, <laughs> yes. So, yes, if I was running the Red Sox by, uh, you know, June or July, I would probably be looking at, at something more like a Swihart Vasquez platoon with late with Leon as the odd man out. Um, in terms of overall offensive production, I mean, I don't think they're going to be as powerful home run wise as they were last year. Right. I mean, they lost. David Ortiz, which is huge. Um, you know, Travis Shaw, it wasn't very good, but he did at least have some pop. They lost him as well. So I certainly think, like, you know, the total number of home runs will be down. But a lot of guys who haven't hit for power yet will hit for some power. I mean, I still think Xander is a 20-homer guy. Um, Hanley hasn't hit for a lot of power yet. He should be good for 20 to 25 homers. Uh, Sandoval looks like he has more pop left than maybe we were hoping. So... You know, if he manages to get 400 plate appearances, maybe he can eke out 15. So I, I, I still think they're a team that can finish in the top five in the AL in homers. They're just probably not going to be number one or two. Um, and the other thing is, is they are hitting a lot of doubles, right? Like Mitch Moreland, Benintendi, Betts. Uh, there's, there are plenty of doubles coming still. Yeah, there's a ton of doubles. Uh, Mitch Moreland has 11 of them uh, by himself right now, which is uh, a startling number at this point. It really is. It's Yeah, no, no one really expected that. And also Mitch Moreland has done his part to hit lefties so far uh, in this early going, which um, makes everything that Mitch Moreland does a little bit uh, unbelievable. But, you know, we'll and he hasn't right looked, now. And he hasn't looked that great in the field, so it's just totally bizarro Mitch Moreland. Yeah, it is really weird. Uh, I wonder you know, how much of this will be sustained. I don't think he'll be able to sustain the platoon splits. I do think he'll get better in the field, like you said. But I wonder how much of the Fenway effects we'll continue to see throughout the year with him. I mean, is this swing, do you think, really tailor-made for the park? I mean, I so I I've, I joke with a lot of Rangers fans on Twitter about Mitch Moreland because he was sort of one of their favorite punchlines. And uh, I've come to understand that he's just very, very hot and cold. Um, and luckily he's starting out his Red Sox career with a hot streak, which is the really only way to save yourself starting out a career in Boston. Um, but you know, if he turns around a five week stretch where he hits 100, it wouldn't shock me either. So I don't even know if it's so much adjustment or the park so much as that, you know, we're getting the really good Mitch Moreland right now. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if pretty soon we start to get the, uh, the not so good Mitch Moreland. Yeah, lean days could be ahead for him at any any point, really, for any given reason. You're absolutely right. He certainly has been that type of a player. Um, but when you, when you look at the home run totals here, and I want to get back to that just real quick before we move on, I'm not that alarmed, honestly, because, you know, Mitch Moreland has a couple. We're not expecting huge things from him. Uh, Mookie Betts has a couple. I think we all kind of expected his power to regress a little bit from last year. He had a whole lot of home runs last year that were just enough home runs. Um, and I think that he, that was sort of the, the top level of his power ceiling. Uh, and Betts 
does seem to be the type of guy that when the weather gets a little bit better uh, and, and the ball starts to carry more, that he's going to benefit from that more than some guys like Hanley Ramirez who can you know, hit it out really in any particular weather. And then you, you have guys like uh, Hanley Ramirez who only has one home run on the season and Chris Young who have none who are – certainly guys who you expect to run into a lot more balls than that. So I think that they just kind of haven't gotten going yet in the early going. Yeah, I uh, agree pretty much with everything you just said. You know, they're not going to be a team defined by their power, but in a way it's sort of nice that they have all this depth. I mean, if they could have, you know, Betts, Bogarts, Bradley, Ramirez, Moreland, um, I feel like I'm missing someone. All, all guys who could easily hit 20 home runs. So maybe they don't have that 40 home run bopper in the middle, but if they have five guys hit 20, six guys hit 20, they'll they'll be okay. Do you know who's leading the team in home runs right now? Who's le- is it Sandoval? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, because he's got three, right? He has three, and uh, you know the underrated thing about Sandoval in this early going is despite that. Uh, 213 batting average he has been walloping the ball his exit velocity is one of the best in baseball right now so I think there are some real signs of life that we've seen from him in the early he's 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 also walked a few times and gotten a few hits lefty so um yeah like you said the average is pretty ugly but like at the plate I I he's looked fairly inspiring to me he's looked pretty bad in the field um but at the plate uh you know absolutely fine as your number six or seven hitter what has been your biggest complaint of his in the field so far this year? I mean, he, he just airmails like one out of every ten throws, right? It looks yeah. like me me in high school. It's, it's um, the arm, yeah. It's the arm. Yeah. It's, it's not so much, I don't think, so far that I've noticed. I don't think it's that he's not really getting to balls that he should get to. I think he's actually done a pretty good job reacting to the ball. I think it has just been the accuracy thing. I totally agree. And, you know, reaction time has never been his issue, right? Like, he's always been a good athlete. I think he just got so big that, you know, his body couldn't catch up with his reactions. And now that he's shed some weight, he seems to have more of his old, you know, average to slightly above average range back that he had with his good days with the Giants. But, man, when he fields a ball, you have no idea if it's going to be a laser right into Moreland's glove or if you're going to catch it if you're in the seventh row. I think this could be a good sign, though, because... I think arm inaccuracy can be a little bit of a characteristic of just not having played a whole ton. And he hasn't played a ton in the field. So this is something that I could see getting better. And he always has had kind of a plus arm over there in terms of just raw strength. Um, you know, the accuracy has been a question at times, but I would be um, less encouraged if it was the opposite. Like if we were seeing him clearly not get to balls that he should get to, but his throws were fine, I'd rather have it this way than that way. Yeah, for sure. And you, how, you know, I'm not a infield coach. How much of it is due to footwork? How much is he just rushing it? Um, you know, you're right that it's certainly easier to fix than just an inability to react or the total lack of range. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's preview the upcoming series here for the Red Sox before we uh, – jump off the podcast um they've got a two-game set against the yankees it was supposed to be a three-game set but tonight get rained out because there's a monsoon here in boston um the two games that are going to be happening in this series have pretty good pitching matchups um tomorrow we have rick porcello versus luis severino 
And then the next day is appointment television. Uh, Chris Sale versus Masahiro Tanaka uh, going head-to-head with the NFL draft. And I will choose Chris Sale over the NFL draft. How about you, Ben? Oh, see, I mean, obviously I will, but that's actually kind of tough for me because my friends and I have an annual NFL draft drinking game. Ah. Um, It's like one of my favorite stupid things of the year. So... Uh, you know, it's not, not as wonderful as Chris Sale, but I'm going to be a little bit distracted, I have to admit. <laughs> yeah, that is that does sound like a good time. I'd be interested in hearing more about that. But um, I'm uh, happy to share the rules with you off air. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, but Chris Sale Tanaka has the uh, makings of what could be a really interesting start. And, uh, you know what? Chris Sale has been a real Yankee killer throughout his entire career. So I'm looking forward to seeing just how much he embarrasses those boys in pinstripes. Uh, I have had the misfortune of only getting to watch two of Chris Sale's starts so far, um, and oh my god, I'm so excited and jealous of people who have watched all of them, but he has been out of this just insane, uh, and you know, I know you and I have talked before, like, pitching is my favorite thing, I love pitchers' duels, I love dominant pitchers more than anything else in the game, and oh my god, he has been something else. So I I have a recommendation then to to Ben and everybody else out there. If you have missed any Chris Sale starts and you do subscribe to MLB TV or if you have access to any of the the shortened games, um, it is awesome to watch Chris Sale starts in shortened games or games where you can skip half innings and just watch the pitching um, because Chris Sale works so damn fast. You can actually watch pretty much an entire Chris Sale start in like – 30 minutes it's yeah. amazing <laughs> fair uh, enough yeah it, it's pretty good i have actually rewatched a chris sale start already this year on mlb tv just by fast forwarding half innings um and, and the pace that he works is really staggering and one of the things that i've been interested in and i haven't been able to get a hold of any of the uh the guys over at bp south side but uh it's always funny to see um how the red sox um announcers react to how fast he works and i'm wondering like how the chicago announcers reacted to that because they did have mark burley for a really long time who pitched very very quickly in his own right so i'm wondering if they they were really um uh, put off by that as well or if they were amazed by it i think is a better way to say it oh i bet i could guess yeah um What's the name of their announcer over there? The guy who's uh, hilarious. Hawk, Hawk Harrelson? Hawk Harrelson. Yeah, that's the guy. I, I wonder what he thought about the whole thing. Uh, he thought whatever benefited the White Sox. <laughs> yeah. Um, so after the uh, the Yankees series here, uh, the Chicago Cubs actually come into Fenway, which is cool. Um, the Chicago Cubs come in for a three-game set. We have Drew Pomerantz versus Jake Arrieta, um, Stephen Wright versus John Lackey, and Eddie Rodriguez versus Brett Anderson. Um, that's going to be interesting. I am not looking forward to Stephen Wright versus no, John Lackey. No, neither am I. Uh, that's going to be a bloodbath, isn't it? Yeah, I love the Red Sox. That might be the day I choose to you know, run my errands or do some cooking or clean around the house instead of flop down and schedule around the game. I, I don't see Stephen Wright versus the Cubs going very well. Yeah, it's a Saturday, too, so there's a whole lot of stuff you can plan for that day. If you're a Sox fan, I'd, I'd get out and make some plans with the wife. or, or Yeah, there's, a, there's 162 games. You can afford to miss a few of them. Yeah. Um, you know, before we get out of here, how long is Stephen Wright going to be in this rotation? Because 
he has not looked good since uh, John Farrell ruined yet another pitcher on the base paths by screwing up his shoulder. Um, he's looked to the point where he could become a real liability. I mean, if he keeps doing this, maybe two, three more starts, I think the Red Sox are going to seriously have to consider an option like Brian Johnson instead of Stephen Wright, even if um, someone like David Price is not quite ready to go. Yeah, I'm not there yet just because the knuckleball is so weird that, you know, I'm also ready for him to rifle off, you know, seven good starts in a row or something. Um, so I would not get into the Brian Johnson, Henry Owens, um, Kyle Kendrick level of depth before I before Stephen Wright. But he is certainly his ass is in the bullpen the second David Price is ready if I'm the Red Sox. Yeah, it's it could be scary, though, if that shoulder is really problematic. Yeah. It could be it for Mr. Mr. Right, but hopefully not. Hopefully he, he remains Mr. Right instead of Mr. Wrong for the Red Sox. Indeed. All right, so um, with that, we will uh, get out of here. Ben, anything else before we uh, we go? Anything you're looking forward to this week in particular? Uh, I mean, Sales Naka is appointment TV, so definitely excited to watch that. And uh, no, thanks for having me on again. Happy that I can uh, still pinch it here every once in a while. Absolutely. Um, we'll do a little housekeeping here. Um, you can all follow us and subscribe to our show on iTunes and Stitcher. You can also rate and review us there. Uh, if you have any questions, you can submit those to us via a question box by clicking on our podcast uh, on the BP Boston homepage, or you can email us at BP Boston the Red Seat. Um, and uh, you can follow Ben on Twitter at, at Ben Carsley. And you can follow me on Twitter at DevJake. And if you enjoyed the show, please go out and share it with all your friends because then we get more popular and more people can listen to us talk about Blake Swihart, which is always a good thing for the world. Um, so we will be with you again next time, at, next week at this same time. And thank you for listening. <laughs>